divine. This conversation, this human, she is like angel on earth. You are going to just be enamored, not only by the words, but the way that she stewards the word itself in today's conversation. She is a lot of things, a psychologist, a previous U.S. Air Force officer. Uh, She is a ministry leader and a speaker and a founder and a behavioral health enthusiast. And honestly, just like, oh, truly wise. I I just sense such wisdom from her and she's young. So a lot of times you associate wisdom with age. And this is not the case here with Dr. Tiffany Tajiri. She's going to literally bless you. She's going to unlock you. She's going to steward you. And I know if she was to hear me say this, she would drop some incredible verse about it has nothing to do with her. And she would glorify and anoint our father in heaven because that is who she is. And her surrender truly is stunning and a place that allows us an opportunity to surrender anything that we think has been previous hurt, pain, past trauma, um, just strongholds. So I pray a, a divine, I'm going back to that word, a divine revelation for you as you listen to her today. And please, please get in touch with her and her resources. Go to her YouTube channel, Instagram, Dr. Tiffany Tajiri. Look at the links because it's not how it sounds, <laughs> how it's spelled, but that's to be expected. So anyway, I love you, Dr. Tiffany. Please tag her here, y'all, and just give her some love because, huh. I feel loved, and I am honored to introduce you to my new friend, Dr. Tiffany Tajiri. Welcome to the Fit and Faith Podcast. Fit is an acronym representing founders, innovators, and trailblazers who are looking to live a life wholly, fully, authentically, and truly fit. A space for us to connect on the raw, real stories of mind, body, and soul alignment of entrepreneurs and kingdom leaders. I'm your host, Tamara Andress. And this podcast isn't like the cookie cutter interview experience. I've been coined the entrepreneurial rabbi. And so we do go there unscripted, no matter how far, wide, deep or high the there is. My desire is to see people rise from the inside out into their greatest calling by sharing their truest stories, talents and tips. As a purpose activator and brand builder, I believe our successes and failures are derived from who and whose we are, not what we do. But strategy and vision are equally as important to the mission. So let's cut to the chase together and get fit in faith. Welcome, welcome to the Fit and Faith podcast. You guys, we are here with Dr. Tiffany Tajiri, and I am so excited to unpack all that she is because holy cow, her bio is an action-packed punch in and of itself. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, sister. You are salt and light. It's such an honor to be on your podcast. You rock, girl. Oh, come on. It's going to be so fun. You back at you. It's so cool. When I read your bio, I immediately felt a kindred spirit to my roommate that I had for all four years in college. She was also in, in currently in the U.S. Air Force. And Aww. so I'm, and she is like a rock star and just like rocks fashion and um, being a woman and that femininity as much as she does being in a suit and her military attire. And I feel like when I see you, I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys are the same. (laughs) And I don't think that that's very common, I'm sure. How cool I got to meet her from combat boots to heels, right? That's the way it goes. Inside of us. 
I'm going to connect you guys. That's so much fun. So Dr. Tiffany, you are literally, uh, I mean, your backstory has to be insane to get you to the places you are now. And I am so curious about it because you serve in such an abundant way as a clinical psychologist, as a therapist, as a behavioral health clinic um, chief in the in Fort Bliss, Texas, which is amazing. You're a founder of the Stand Up and Recover Incorporated. You've got this rhythm restoration and you're a co author of Abundant Recovery Curriculum at a church. I mean, let's take a deep breath. <laughs> Tell me how, when, why, where. Tell me all the things. You're so sweet. You know, I think it started, God had placed this anointing over my life when I was a young girl. And it started with an eighth grade science fair project where literally it said, which way, right or left. And it was referring to the right or left hemisphere of the brain. And I was assessing from age groups to gender to people who do different professions, which one favored which hemisphere of the brain. And it ended up winning like a state championship. And from there on out, I was like, I love the brain. I'm obsessed with the brain and I got to be some sort of brain doctor of sorts. Um, And I just love human beings. God has placed it over my life just to be very compassionate, to have a bleeding heart. Um, But he's also given me that full armor of God because we have to have that on when we're helping other people to protect ourselves. But it started in eighth grade. And then I would say I I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Texas at El Paso, then went on to do my doctorate um, in clinical psychology in Atlanta, Georgia, known as the Georgia School of Professional Psychology. And then I did my residency at Wilford Hall and Air Force Base. And I was commissioned at that point as a captain and I served five years, did some awesome work with special operations where I served as a psychologist for the selection and assessment of special forces, which was super cool. Um, And then I just ended up getting out because I felt like I had to color outside of the lines. I'm good at smartly saluting if I have to, but I love to color outside of the lines. I love to be creative. I love to talk about Jesus in the center of our healing. And I felt, you know, if I really want to have a voice, I really need to become a civilian. And so that's how I am where I am today. (laughs) That is incredible. First of all, I have to take note that my eighth grade science project was with mealworms. So you definitely won in the choice department there. I have no idea where that came from, but yours sounds way more interesting and way more of a life trajectory path. So that's incredible that it was at such an early age. My curiosity as you're sharing is... I mean, God, you're, you're speaking so abundantly about his, you know, anointing on your life. How soon were you in your faith and exploring or understanding what your identity was through him? You know, that's a great question. And just like anyone else, it has its, its peaks and its valleys and peaks and valleys. And I think I really stepped into it in my early 30s. And so right now I'm at 37. So in my early 30s, where I started really figuring it all out. Now, let me tell you, I was on a full existential crisis in my 20s, figuring it out, trying to understand, leaning into him, learning about all different faiths, to be quite honest, and saying, where do I belong? And how does it make sense? What makes sense most logically to me? And then I ended up stepping upon the book, what was it, quite literally, and Andy Stanley's book, How Good is Good Enough. It's 
little itty bitty and tiny. And basically it just says, save people go to heaven. There's no algorithm out there that states you need to have 97th percentile in order to make it to heaven. But it's like people who are forgiven and saved go to heaven. It's as easy as that. His love is completely and utterly abundant. And that just hit spot on. And ever since then, I have been really just diving in. I'm fascinated by what's in scripture, but I'm also fascinated what's in science. And sometimes you really see a rhythm between the two of them. And it just blows my mind, especially in the realm of neuroscience. So staying in and leaning in on my faith, leaning in on God during the tough times, because girl, trust me, there are some serious storms in our lives and nothing's going to get you through like our Lord and Savior. Amen. And you're so right. And I think especially having done kind of work that you did, my curiosity in the special forces, I am surrounded in Virginia Beach by about seven different, um, uh, how do you say it? Like Air Force bases, yeah. Navy bases, Army bases like that's I, I feel like I was an, a Navy brat and I was, but I never moved. So my dad was in the military for 23 years and we stayed planted in Virginia Beach, Virginia, even through his deployments. But we have a lot of like Navy SEALs in our area. And so mm-hmm. I see the spousal side of that now that I have friends in that realm. Um, and I would be so curious, the incredible stories that you probably went through just helping and healing. Uh, is that where the rhythm of restoration came from? And is were you able to use your faith in those spaces or not really because it was more of a secular line? Oh, these are such good questions. So with special operations, the selection and assessment of them, it's really working as a psychologist, making sure that their mind is mentally fit to do anything that makes them worldwide qualified as a service member. So I just want to make sure that they are okay. They don't have any significant diagnoses that we need to be aware of or any strange personality tendencies that would be of concern later down the line when they're in a combat setting. So that was a lot of fun. It required a lot of ruck marching, a lot of hua hua stuff, you know, like <laughs> watching them go in the ocean and do sugar cookies where they roll around in the sand. Oh my like, gosh. And sit up. It was crazy. Oh, I got so to watch. Nice. <laughs> that was fun too. <laughs> But needless to say, it was a great time. Now, rhythm restoration, really, it kind of sort of manifested. It was something that was blooming in my heart during that period. But rhythm restoration was something that I'd have to do and explore further as I stepped out of the military, because it's really um, coloring outside of the lines. It's not very concrete in the sense, I believe it's evidence-based. There's no doubt about it. There's a lot of neuroscience that backs it up, but it hasn't had research after research after research after research yet, like regular cognitive behavioral therapy or eye movement desensitization and reprocessing or cognitive processing therapy, all the PTSD or trauma therapies that have been out there for a very, very, very long time like decades or so. And so rhythm restoration started in my heart. Um, Really, when I learned the concept of EMDR and the power of bilateral stimulation, you want to trigger your whole hemisphere, your whole brain when you're trying to digest and process something that's a painful experience, because what you got to do is you got to neuroplastically rewire it. I'm going to put that on pause and then shift to the other portion of the question, wherein you were asking about faith and how did I talk about faith and and what realm was it appropriate in when I still was wearing the green suit as active duty or versus when I stepped out but the reality is um I was talking a lot about faith when I was still in the green suit because I think the biggest question when people come back from combat is where is God in war and that was the original title of my book is helping them find God because when we look at research we find that faith is the greatest protective factor for suicide prevention long term 
Wow. That's a statement. I didn't realize that. And I think PTSD in comparison to depression and all of the other pieces of anxiety that go along with that, I I could totally see that being the case. Faith was my answer to suicidal ideation, to depression, to anxiety. And I've seen it so many times. Um, I feel like when I think about like the psychological side of things, I didn't even understand mental health until I started meeting with a therapist, which then led me down the path of exploring how does my mind correlate to my actions, to my thought patterns, my emotions, to everything thereafter. So I think it's really interesting when you're talking about the rewiring and the neuroplasticity of our brain and the ability to actually shift that. Talk us through like, what does the rhythm restoration allow for that's different than these other particular pieces that you were talking about? Well, faith is definitely going to be key to rhythm restoration. They say that the individual who is really strong in their faith, no matter what their faith may be, their brains are actually larger and it's a huge neuroprotective factor. They are less prone to depression or anxiety. And we also know a certain part of the brain known as the parietal lobe is much, much thicker. And that's the area of the brain kind of known for love and selflessness. Isn't that cool when they do fMRIs? Really it's really cool. cool. It is. And so um, that is being the foundation. So with rhythm restoration, the first part is rhythm, right? The first thing you ever heard when you were in your mother's womb was her heartbeat. So rhythm helps regulate the autonomic nervous system. And I also attribute it to scripture where in Matthew, it says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn my unforced rhythms of grace. I will not lay anything ill-fitting upon you. Keep company with me and I will teach you how to live freely and lightly. So rhythm helps to calm us. The second part is bilateral stimulation. It's triggering both hemispheres of the brain, right? Especially if you're wanting to rewire it, you want the whole brain to be operating at the same time. Now, I always say to my soldiers, you know, when you go on a ruck march or a run or just anybody going on a walk, your brain processes. You might notice that if you want to blow off steam, you go on a walk or a jog or a run, right? And it helps you to digest. That bilateral stimulation helps the brain to digest. We do it organically in REM sleep, known as rapid eye movement, where our eyes are moving back and forth in our head. It's when we're processing the day's events. And we may notice that when we feel stuck on something, a nightmare may manifest, right? And those are things that are unprocessed or unresolved that our brain is trying to say, hey, this is poisonous for your brain. It's actually poisonous for your body too, having these toxic thoughts or these toxic experiences. You need to digest them and process them. And then the last part is visualization, right? I think of Ephesians 3.20, God will give you more than you can ever imagine, guess, or request in your wildest dreams. We have to visualize, right? The brain doesn't know the difference between a real and an imagined experience, believe it or not. There was a cohort one time that actually did, um, had to visualize doing specific exercises, okay? Then, uh, and then another cohort that actually did them and the one that did nothing at all for a baseline. And in the end, they found that the individuals who visualized the exercises had increased muscular strength gain in those areas of their body by That's 22%. That's crazy. Holy cow. doing abs right now. All right. Come on. Gonna- Come on. Get a six pack. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, what's interesting as you're sharing it, I'm thinking back to my days in gymnastics and I would always do a visualization routine when the other person was up right before me. And I would literally stand next to the event where I knew I was about to mount and I would use my arms and, and I would just visualize the rest of my body coming in unison with my movements. And I didn't always get a 10.0. I never got a 10.0, let's be honest. But I, I did really well in the times that I was just like, I'm good. I've got this. It would not be to the same extent. And so it was a constant habitual experience. And I feel like if we were to do that, no different than when we're giving labor. I've had friends who have done like the hypnobirthing experience where they actually visualized their labor. They visualized waves instead of their actual contraction where their body was hurting. And instead they literally told the nurses they were not allowed to use this word contraction, only waves, a wave is coming. In she had the lights off. She was like totally counterculture to what you would imagine being this really crazy wild birth. And she said that she didn't even scream. She barely like increased her breathing. Just the wildest thing. And I'm like, okay, I need to try this again because that was not what my labor was like. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. You know, there's a difference between the mind versus the brain. Okay. So the mind's the intelligent part of you. And obviously the brain's just that globular goop and the mind is going to determine what the mental real estate is. And so when your mind is visualizing, it's creating the mental real estate in the brain. So as you were practicing the visual of your gymnastics routine, you were actually laying down a neural network in your brain to help streamline the process of you nailing that mount. <laughs> so let's talk about the opposite effect then. So someone instills or has an experience of trauma and I've surely had many of that in my life. And I know from a war perspective, there's a lot of visual trauma that happens that then is sitting into their brain long-term, creating those nightmares, creating this sense of depression and identity uh, structure and pooling, the questioning of God, all of these pieces. Talk to us about how you can rewire, reestablish um, just health and wholeness. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great topic. So Everything from your brain that is trauma related is actually stored in the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain. And so what we want to do is we want to take the trauma from the fear center and bring it to the frontal lobe. Let me preface it with this. When we have a traumatic experience, the hallmark trait of PTSD is avoidance. We don't want to deal with it right? So the more we stuff it, the more we avoid it, the worse it gets over time. It just starts to build up and it becomes like this poison to our mind, which impacts our body. No doubt about it. So when we bring it from the amygdala to the frontal lobe, just by being aware of it and choosing to acknowledge it, we start to break it down. We have to look at it from different angles. Okay. So my bottom line up front is God is not the author of the bad things, period. God neurobiologically wired us to love and to be loved. And in order to have love, we have to have relationship. And in order to have relationship, we have to have free will. So he's never going to take it away. People are going to do the goofiest, stupidest, meanest, ugliest things with their free will, right? And God's not going to stop that, but he's going to make a way through the wilderness for us. He's going to make beauty for ashes in light of it. Jesus wasn't immune to the pain and suffering of the world. He endured the cross so we can endure whatever comes our way. And so when they get unstuck from the idea that God was the author and they start to recognize, no, wait, God was on my side, especially for a deployed setting. Yea, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they bring me comfort. When they start to recognize all the divine connections during their traumatic event, when they start to look at it from different angles, and sometimes I even have them re-script the trauma. How would you like it to end? Or how can we bring peace 
to this traumatic experience, what will allow your soul to rest? And so they will visualize, they will remember a combination of things. And then what happens is that toxic memory, the poison becomes extracted from it because all the way down to the basic substrates, all the way down to the proteins, all the way down to the DNA, the memory changes. And when it's changed, the properties of what allowed it to be filed in the fear center of the brain no longer exist. So it just files back into the hippocampus, which is the regular long-term memory. I could listen to you all day. I feel like a lot of people are like, what is happening? And this is literally like all of my favorite research in one space, because I don't believe that there is that separation of science and faith. I believe it's all orchestrated perfectly because we're divinely made. And when we actually understand it from not only a language perspective, but an, um, an application perspective, it allows, I think, in my personal experience, my faith to be that much bigger. And the potential and the possibility, not only of healing, but of miracles. And because when we're here and we're praying and we're like laying hands on someone, right? And you're thinking, oh, this isn't possible. And yet God has told us already that we will do far greater things than he who did it here on earth as it is in heaven is the possibility of we're actually extracting something like that in the moment. And so to look from like a granular perspective of that, like you said, that word extraction and removing it and then replacing it, it's almost like a fresh seed so that new fruit can grow versus the dead rotten fruit that's been growing. It gives me hope. Yeah. I think of Deuteronomy. It says, I put before you life or death, blessing or cursing. So choose life so that you and your descendants may live. And it's like so factual. It's not just like, so like, Oh, you and your descendants may live. It's like, hello, this is like genetic. Like you are choosing life right now because there's such thing called transgenerational trauma that if you're not correcting it now, you're going to pass it on to your offspring if you haven't had kids already. So the reality is there is a phenomenon known as epigenetics that we can, based on the environment, based on where we choose to place our mind, we can choose life over our body. We can override our blueprints of genetics just by how we perceive the world and what we choose to allow in. If we accept love and light versus darkness, right? It's so incredible. And so what I love, I'm going to and read you some scripture. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that does not bear fruit and every branch that bears fruit. He prunes it so that it may be more fruitful. What I think about when I, when I, when I hear the scripture are the genetic dendritic connections of the neurons, right? That he's pruning the ones that he needs to prune and he's making the ones stronger that need to be made stronger. And it's just so fantastic because I mean, I think even science and scripture um, confirms neuroplasticity and how we have to hold our thoughts captive to Christ and everything that we do. So cool. It's so crazy because I think people, they don't associate the two. And I don't know where in history that that bondage or that breakage occurred. Um, but I love, in my perspective, I feel like even things like energy, things like manifestation, these conversations that most people would quote as woo-woo are actually coming back into alignment of the Christian or Christianity because people are realizing that that was always God's idea. It's biblically based, like everything in that realm. And so I wonder how, as you teach and help people come into that belief system, do you ever experience like rejection in the in understanding of the combination? You know, in the setting that I'm in, I haven't really overtly got or received that rejection. So basically the way I get that cell of bringing in psychology and science 
right, with scripture and faith is saying, hey, you agree that you are God's creation, right? And you are a series of electrical and chemical impulses, right? So you are science. So can we agree that God created science? And with that being said, I have that buy-in. You know, I was also reading an article today, which is really interesting. It was from the Pope, and it was back in 2011. And it was talking about how um, the Big Bang Theory manifested. And the Pope is actually saying, hey, we can't not say that God wasn't the author of that Big Bang Theory. Because when he said, let there be light, boom, there was light. And so that was just such a cool article to read. I was just actually doing some research on this topic uh, right before we got onto this video. I love that. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it kind of goes all the way back to the concepts of dinosaurs, right? And people will be like, dinosaurs aren't real. Well, dinosaurs are real. There's actually converse, conversations about it in the Bible. And I had this conversation with my six-year-old. He was six at the time. He's eight now. And he's like, mom, you always told me that they weren't real, but it wasn't actual. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, dude. Like I am always learning too. I'm always becoming, my faith is still growing. My understanding revelation is still something that I want to learn more um, and be revealed to every single day. And it was just interesting to do that. And then simultaneous to that in a bigger conversation or a harder conversation, when you were talking about uh, the generational bondage and the epigenetics piece is as a parent, my thought pattern is always going all the way back to not just my parents, but my parents, parents, and so on and so forth. And how can I create a better road, a better opportunity, a safer environment, uh, a more holistic approach to living and a true understanding of their identity in, in Christ? Because I didn't have that growing up. And so um, little things that we've done, um, not only from an emotional standpoint and actually speaking over our emotions versus suppressing them, uh, mm -hmm. is also removing alcohol from our, from our house for the last mm -hmm. almost three years now because it's such a habitual issue in our families on both sides. I'm curious, like when you're thinking of like the rewiring and the development of epigenetics on that level, are there other ways that we could foster from a parental perspective or even for ourselves to help nurture that health? You know, it's being mindful. Mindful is so important. Um, it's not going on that autopilot. So as you can imagine, when we're youngins, right, especially when our brains are super malleable between the ages of like three and seven, that's when the brain's the most imaginative. And that's when we're learning patterns of behavior and ways to relate to one another. That's where we get that attachment from, right? Whether we have a secure attachment with somebody or whether it is a confused one, whether it's a fearful attachment, whether it's a disorganized type, right? So we're learning that and that's rewiring our brain as to what love is. And so sad because some kids just get exposed to the worst cases that you could possibly imagine. And their brain is, is just shifted in such a radical way that as they become adults, it becomes dysfunctional trying to operate in that same pattern. And so subconsciously, we operate in the patterns that our parents have taught us, those primary caregivers. And so when we're operating from that we are, we're not living our most productive lives. We're not being able to recognize, ooh, here's a maladaptive thought that I'm having. Ooh, this emotion doesn't feel right. Is it correct? Is it accurate? Does it have a belief associated with it? We can't be mindful of the process. And so with that being said, uh, we have to slow down. We have to recognize that everything that's coming into our mind to include the television shows we're watching, to include the radio station we have on, the songs we're listening to are impacting our brain because our brain is not nearly as intelligent 
intelligent as our mind is. So we have to be very conscientious about that. If we say, oh, I'm stupid, but I really know I'm not stupid, but oh, I'm just saying because whatever, I'm just being stupid right now. You can't just say that because your brain is like, wiring yourself as I am stupid. It's like, it doesn't get the difference. So you really have to be mindful about what's coming in. Consequently, what is going out and be aware of the patterns of behaviors that you've engaged in the past that have been maladaptive to you and be conscientious to not repeat those patterns. Yeah. I think that goes back to like affirmation constant affirmation and saying those words and speaking life over ourselves and our children. And I know as women, we are mostly guilty of that, right? I can't stand when people like call themselves fat or um, not pretty or not beautiful, knowing the the soul that they're actually penetrating with those words, um, whether they're saying it loosely or not. The most powerful thing you can do to unlock your greatness and step into your next level of abundance is to get in the room with others who have been where you want to be and perhaps are going where you want to go. But oftentimes we can put ourselves in the wrong room based on exterior vantage points, what they wear, where they go, what they do. When we know in our heart of hearts that we should be following people, standing along people who are aligned in true wealth. Stop feeling alone in the journey of growth as a business leader and an entrepreneur who loves God. Stop struggling to find the right answer when it's already been written. Stop giving up on the desires of your heart when God placed them there with intention. Stop standing in this lack mentality when your prosperity is critical for all of us in the kingdom. Come, find a seat at the table at the most impactful faith-driven business conference you will ever experience. Alongside ministry-driven marketplace leaders, you will evolve, unlock, and activate your next level. That just sounded like a video game. This is not the meta, okay? This is your IRL, your in-real-life chance to be in the room with some of the greatest kingdom entrepreneurs of our time. Founders, innovators, trailblazers who are God-centered are coming together to grow their business for God's sake. And that's an inside-out job. You will leave this three-day intensive with action plans, new income strategies, fresh mentalities towards business and life integration, and a sense of freedom that will have others magnetized to what you are selling by the way you freshly and uniquely serve. It's happening on November 4th through the 6th, 2022 in Nashville, Tennessee, with a highlight VIP event on November 3rd. There are seats at the table for you, but they will go fast. It's a limited reservation. So get your tickets now at growforgod.com. Again, that's growforgod.com. I cannot wait to hug your neck. I cannot wait to see you there in person. I cannot wait for this energetic room to just light up the world because that's what we're going to do when we leave this conference. But you got to be in the room. IRL, let's go. And I think another question that I would have in comparison to the affirmation piece is meditation. What are, what are your thoughts on like the process of meditation parallel to holistic living and, and that idea of health? It's absolutely key. You know, rhythm restoration is a form of meditation. So I just literally have 
the person in front of me who I'm counseling, close their eyes and tap back and forth, whether you do the butterfly hug, whether you use your feet, it's your own unique rhythm and that bilateral stimulation. And then you're visualizing whatever is going to bring you peace and whatever you want to see manifest itself, right? And so one of the positive affirmations that I absolutely love to do with individuals is say, God is giving you your crown. You know, in the Bible, it states that you are given the crown of life and we're given the crown of life because we go through trials and tribulations, right? We've endured. And so here's our crown of life. I want you to imagine God just placing it on your head. What does it feel like? What does it look like? Can you stand tall? What does his face look like as you're receiving it? How can you see how much he loves you? When they close their eyes and visualize that, I can't tell you how many people have come to tears and, and everyone's visualization is so exclusive, so unique, and so tailored to them. Specific, I would imagine, because we pray right beforehand to what God wants them to see about themselves. Joint heirs to the throne. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm like, this is amazing. Let's do it. I want to do it right now. Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, I'm just thinking through my like powerful experiences this year. My business coach uh, has practice in NLP. And so he is constantly walking us through as entrepreneurs, as visionaries, as leaders into meditation. And sometimes, especially at the beginning, I'm like, is this really what I paid for? Like, I don't think I signed up for this. I think I was trying to get like my business to get to another level. And I've realized that the things that we often do are not, are so associated with the habitual routine of what we expect the outcome to be. And when we actually take pause in meditation and reflect on what we want it to manifest, it's actually very different than what our actions would sometimes allow us to step into routine doing. And every single time that I've had these meditations, they've been like breakthrough. They've either allowed me to have an entire um, revelation on what my next speech was going to be when I was getting on stage or a conversation with someone that I knew was just going to literally ch break chains for them. Um, and so I just, I am in awe of it and I don't do it enough. Do you have like suggestions on either meditations that you like or podcasts or apps that you listen to that you're really attuned to? Obviously meditating on his word is our calling. Um, I'm be curious what you do. Yeah, scripture is so vivid. I, I literally pull scripture and I ask people to visualize even being like Peter on the boat in the middle of the storm when Jesus calls him. We're all in the middle of the storm, quite literally, right? And Peter starts to recognize that he, he follows Jesus. And I want, to, I want you to see Jesus in that storm because we have our own existential storm going on around us. But I want you to follow up and stand. And we know in scripture that um, Peter kind of gets derailed for a second because he feels the water and the wind and then he gets flustered. And the reality is that even the midst of walking that path, that just because Jesus is calling us, it doesn't mean we're going to be immune to the storm around us. We have to understand that the storm is going to hit us and that we have to see Jesus as the prize on the other end, that he's going to make a way. He's going to be our life vest. He guarantees that we'll have the victory and that we will not drown, but we are still going to feel that storm. And so that might be a visualization, putting on the whole armor of God in Ephesians. You know, what does that look like? What does your armor look like? Is it um, abstract? Is it concrete? Does it look like from Camelot or do you have like bubbles 
around you. I mean, you can think of anything. So scripture has so much to offer in the context of visualization and, and just visualizing where you want to see yourself. If you can't see your future and you can't see your restoration or your recovery, it's going to be really hard for you to walk that process. You got to be able to see it. For couples therapy, I have um, the couples visualize an argument that they had together. And then I visual, I have them visualize what would you do different now that you know your five love languages, now that you know you're putting God at the center and you're using surrender, you know, as your weapon against the enemy, right? And so what would you do different? So they visualize how they would play it out. So they're more likely the next time because a new neural network is laid down to play it out in the more correct way to bring life. <laughs> I am so in love with it. So tell me like on a day day and even a visualization for yourself, maybe going into the new year or things like that. How do you like desire to operate? What has God given you in the forecast of what's to come in how you're serving people? Are you in a, like a coaching methodology? Do you have group coaching programs? Are you in an actual clinical facility? Yeah. So I am right now, I am chief of the West Bliss Behavioral Health Clinic at Fort Bliss. It's probably one of the larger uh, multidisciplinary clinics in the army. And so I run that and I see patients um, face to face and I see a couple sessions a day and then just kind of doing all the administrative taskers that come with it. But then I also partake in abundant restoration or abundant recovery at Abundant um, Church in El Paso, Texas. And so that consumes a lot of my time. I had written the curriculum with one of the pastors there. And so I use rhythm restoration in that service and it happens every Tuesday. So right now we're on our hiatus. Um, we just got done with the semester last week and now we'll be preparing for a new one. My next endeavor is to get that all written out because I finally want a restoration recovery ministry. I like to say restoration better because we don't want to go back to what we were when we, even when we weren't um, an alcoholic or addicted or prior to divorce or whatnot. We don't want to go back there. We want to be restored and made new in Christ, right? We want something fresh. We want something new to start and begin in our lives as he calls us to. And so I really want to get it down on paper finally and, and eventually publish it because right now there's some great recovery programs. They're like 52 weeks long and, and some I may think that they nurture codependency, um, other programs that don't talk about the importance of psychology, which is science. And we kind of got to understand how our thoughts and our emotions impact us and what Christ felt because he felt emotions too and, and um, bring it all together. And so that's my goal. And it's my next step um, for the future. <laughs> Just I a lot love to that. <laughs> no, it is, but I feel like there's so many ways now to write books or to curate your, your ideas, especially when we're doing live things like this, but um, transcribing could be really cool. You're so good at teaching and saying it out loud. So you can transcribe how you teach every single week and then have a ghostwriter actually put it all together for you in your busy schedule. So just an oh idea. From girl, there you are. <laughs> right. I think it's important for us to realize like, our zone of genius. And while you might be a phenomenal writer, I don't know, but you're definitely a phenomenal speaker and teacher. Aww. And so lean into that. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, like, I, I heard you talking to someone in the back. Was that your husband? Just a yeah. other? Yeah. My husband. He's my better okay. half. Um, All right. So you guys been married for how long? Oh, we've been married for about a year. Ah, it's a new relationship. I love that. So how's marriage treated you? And I'm curious because I think oftentimes when people have all of this 
cognitive awareness. It's can obviously serve as a massive tool, uh, an agent, a good thing, but does he have the same revelations and understanding or are you kind of like, Hey babe, let me just tell you about this emotional experience we're having right now and what's actually happening. <laughs> Like I would, I'm so curious to be in that relationship. He is so amazing. So he is a retired army colonel. And so he's had multiple combat tours to Iraq and Afghanistan. So he does have PTSD and traumatic brain injury. And so, you know, we work together as a couple. So I understand his end. I understand it from a psychologist perspective. I understand it from being a wife. Right. And so we're blessed on that. But boy, he loves psychology. He loves helping people. And he has such an anointing over his life because, you know, being a colonel, you have to be a leader and he was the kind of leader that led by example. He was compassionate and filled with love. And, you know, I think he had the same mentality as well, that sometimes in leadership roles for people who've never been exposed to Jesus or, or, you know, any sort of faith system, we may be the closest to Jesus they will ever see based on our actions. And we have to be this walking advertisement to say, hey, I want a life like that. I wonder what's different with her life or his life. Um, and I want that. And so that helps them to understand how Jesus works in us and through us and how his life is truly abundant. But he loves it. He, he goes to every abundant recovery program. If I need somebody to record, he records. And he's very um, psychologically minded and in tune. If we act stupid or act goofy because we do that frequently especially when i'm pmsing he'll grab my hands we'll hold hands and we'll be like oh lord we surrender it to you like quite literally we're like just surrender it to god and i think the best thing about our relationship is that we're quick to surrender it to the lord if we know we said something past aggressive or snarky we don't play it off and then be prideful and then let it build and get worse and worse until we avoid one another we say oh I own it. I was being this, that, or the other. I'm sorry. Let's pray about it. And let's just move on because we need peace in our household. And that's absolutely key. That's so powerful. I think marriage insight is going to be definitely a realm that you guys are going to continue to tap into because it's really hard. And I think especially from my experience, I live in a household and I'm in a marriage to entrepreneurs. And so where our brains are always going a million miles a minute. We have passions that are so synchronized. Um, wow. Our faith obviously is the forefront of everything that we do, but there has to be a lot of trust and leaning on one another that our vision, because you can't fully see what that person sees and the security piece is always like something that's really hard. And so rather than creating false idols in the security of someone's ability, but always finding the security in God, the father, it has to take our submission. And I love that you use that word surrender. We were talking about that earlier um, in another podcast I was on and we were talking about the power of surrender. And I think surrender of our thoughts, surrender of the tangibles. Often we try to hold on to something, especially as a suppression mechanism, um, whether it's something that's addictive or not, maybe it's something that's comforting, but it's still not the comforter. And so I think we've learned as husband and wife that submission to each other and submission to God beforehand, it, it sounds like one of those words that people are like, well, I'm not going to submit to him, right? Like I wear the pants in this relationship and that's like culturally sound, but it is not heavenly sound. And yeah. people find that really interesting that we are able to submit to one another. I'm going to pick back process. I Please. love what you're saying. So um, I was a huge fan of the book and the movie, The Shack. I don't know if you ever oh, heard Oh, I it. love it. I love what? it. I book and I got it right behind oh, me, actually. The book and the movie. Okay. William P. Young, I think, right? Okay. Yep. And so um, there was a scene. It was not in the movie, but it was in the book. And it really just like 
left this huge imprint on me. So Mac, the main character in the shack, no pun intended, right? He goes (laughs) to God and God is sitting before him in the form of the father, the son, the Holy spirit. And they're sitting together at a table and Mac comes in, you know, he's trying to figure everything out and he goes, Hey, which one of you is in charge? And they look at each other and they start laughing and he goes, I bet it's you, right? The father, you got to be the one that's in charge. And they like continue to laugh and in perfect harmony and in unison, they say, that's the problem with you humans is that you always have to have hierarchy. And I created you for a relationship. And as long as there is hierarchy, you lose out on relationship. And they said in perfect unison, the truth is we are in perfect surrender to one another. Oh my gosh, it's so good. As yeah. you're doing it, I'm like obviously visualizing the the beauty of the fact that they chose men and women of ethnicity and color and just such a beautiful expression of God. And I'm so glad that they did it that way, but it was completely shocking to me when I saw the movie because I read the book first. I try to always do that. I love reading books and getting in the fantastical. And then to see it come alive, it that's where the truest imprint came to me, but you're so right. Like they talk about that equal yoke for a reason. And that's the same way that God, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit operate, that there wasn't that hierarchy, even though there was the surrender from one to another when Jesus was here on earth. Yeah. God, your will be done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was within him and it was the Holy Spirit that allowed his strength and and the resurrection and all of those pieces. So mm-hmm. really powerful, really powerful. And I think as a humanity, if we could pick that up, we would have a lot clearer of a a situation going on in every realm of politic, education, all the things. It's a whole lot of love. We just need a whole lot of love. It's so true. Well, Tiffany, I, I could talk to you all day and I would love to do that. I would love for you to share for the people who are listening. And I have a, such a diverse community of people, women, men alike, and people who are just, they're driven. I, I really feel like that's one of the biggest words to define my community. They're driven. And I would love for you to just speak into them um, some life and then also some recognition, maybe a revelation of something that could help them unlock that next level of of being. I don't even want to say success because success is relative, right? I I don't know what success means other than to be well done, my good and faithful servant at the end of our days. Amen. So if I have one piece of advice for you, let me think. I want it to be good. Hmm. Okay. Here it is. So many people that I've come across, especially in the Christian community, think that, well, if I just declare Jesus over me, I'm divinely healed. Why should I ever have to revisit my past traumatic, painful experiences if I should be a new creation in Christ? Why? Why, why, why? So the reason is, is because their past experiences are impacting your now. So one day I was going on a jog and it kind of just came to me. I was like, God, what do you think about trauma? What do you think about processing trauma? What do you think about miracles and divine healing? And so he placed it upon my heart. And this is what came to me in that revelation. He said, daughter, what do you think is the greatest trauma in all of history? And I was like, hmm, thought the Holocaust or different things. And then it dawned on me, it's your death on the cross. Could you imagine being Mary Magdalene or one of the disciples out there, his mother, having to watch his death, how traumatic that would be and the impact on their brain that it has, their Lord and Savior dying before them in the flesh, being vulnerable, right? Surrendering to the calling because 
it would bring on the future for us and the joy for us at the end of that. But needless to say, a very hurtful and painful experience. I was like, oh my goodness, that's a huge trauma. And I thought, how did Jesus resolve it? Well, he resurrected. He resurrected not only to show us that he's the truth, the way, and the life, but he was also very human too. And he loved us and he knew the pain that we went through by seeing him hurt. And so he came back made whole in the flesh, I believe, partly to say, hey, look, this is not the visual. That visual of me on the cross is not the one that I want you to have in your head. The visual is this. I am restored. I am victorious. I am made new. Look, I'm okay. Yes, I have scars. They're always going to be here, but I I have these scars for you and I'm okay. So I always think about Peter and what Peter would have done, right? So Peter denied Jesus three times. And, and if Jesus didn't come back to have this corrective healing, emotional experience with Peter, do you think that Peter would continue to spread the word? Probably not. He would continue to be a fisherman. But now that Jesus came back and said, hey, I love you, man. I love you, man. I love you, man. Now go spread my gospel. He became a fisher of men. Right. And had Jesus not come back, there may not have been that corrective emotional experience. So in my heart of hearts as a psychologist and a Christian sister, I believe firmly that God wants you to revisit those places to bring peace and healing, to extract whatever toxic thinking patterns you have ever had. And it's okay to go back there. There is such thing as miraculous and divine healing, but sometimes the miracle comes in the process. And if you're not in the process, you're going to miss out on the miracle. So that is my two cents for (laughs) y'all. That is way more than two cents, okay? That's <laughs> like years and years of therapy, and that costs way more than two pennies. And so I am grateful for that. And I think what's so powerful is that understanding of like breaking the cycles, breaking the generational bondage, going back and healing the inner child, um, those practices, and even the rewriting of the nightmares, rewriting of the story that you mentioned at the beginning part of this They have been the life-changing supplement for me to be able to sustain and honestly to live and be able to steward what I know are my gifts and talents now. Um, But I was definitely stuck in that place for a really long time. And so just to hear you say that and to empower them to do the same is super encouraging and a light, right? There is, I heard earlier that it's not a light at the end of the tunnel, that the light actually lives within that he is within you. And so everyone's always searching for like what's ahead. But if we were to go interior and realize that the Holy Spirit has a place that dwells within us, we would have more power to exist on our day to day. And so hopefully that encourages someone. I just wanted to leave that nugget felt prompted to share. He who is in me is greater than he who's in the world. There you go. Come on, Dr. Tiffany, you guys, you've got to get in touch with her. You have her link for her website here. Um, she also has a book peace after combat is there any other areas that you hang out that we can see you more often or hear from you more often you know i have a youtube channel um i'm always posting my videos on there a lot of stuff from abundant recoveries on there as well and you can find me on instagram and facebook so i do those i'm not too trendy yet with all the snapchat and whatever you don't need to be that trend. nope nope that was my other podcast earlier that she said i grew my whole ministry and through a podcast and e-courses and that's all that matters we don't need to do all the things in order to be seen and known and heard and served which is what you're doing 
Yes. And I have a mastermind too. So that's always fun. Oh, amazing. Look at that. All the things they're there. Go search her out. You guys tag her. If you're hearing or listening to this afterwards, I am humbled by the way you honor the word in the way that you show up and uh, it precedes you. He precedes you. It's totally apparent. And I'm, I'm grateful and uh, I want to practice it better myself. So thank you for stewarding that. You're a divine connection, my sister. Thank you. Yeah. Soon, Tiffany. Hey y'all, it's me again. I hope in today's episode, you sense and ignite to an ember within you, something mentally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually moving that creates and sustains a fire within your journey. Before you go, let's solidify the flame. I'd love for you to take a step right now in declaring your takeaway by snapping a pic of the episode you tuned into, share your sparked moment and tag me at fit and faith underscore podcast or me personally at Tamara.andress on Insta. I hope that I can keep you accountable and also share you with the greater community of the Fit and Faith podcast listeners. We're totally in this together. Community over competition is the motto, right? I'd also be incredibly grateful if you took an extra second to leave a review on iTunes or your podcast listening app. I'd love to feature your thought in the next episode and give you and your passion project a big shout out. You know I'm a writer, so I love words and I can't wait to read what you have to say. I'm ready to fuel the flame with you together. And until next time, blessings over your joy, health, wealth, and wholeness. Tune in next time. Hi, friend. Are you stressed, maybe even worried about so many needs around you that you've forgotten you are worth taking care of, too? Well, I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. I want to invite you to join me as I share practical tips based on science, inspired by God's Word, to help you spark joy and restore God's peace and love to your soul. Subscribe now and go to lifeaudio.com.